and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned in to the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Hello, friends. Uncle Timmy here with you on this Friday then. It's Saturday, Sunday. Another jam-packed show lined up for you. In fact, we have two jam-packed shows lined up for you. I got you until 6.30 Eastern, 90 minutes of whole grain goodness. Then we reappear through the magic of television at 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 in Manitoba, 5.30 in Edmonton on Sportsnet West to get you set for Game 2 of the Jets and Oilers, which is available to everyone on Sportsnet West. That's right. Regional restrictions go away in the postseason because Rodgers paid $5.2 billion for the right to do that with a B. We are going to get you the latest on the Jays and Rays, lid lifter of a four-game series down in Dunedin. A tough day for Corey Connors at the PGA Championships. We'll take a look at the modern-day Babe Ruth. We'll try and understand why it took an entire season to get Travis Green a new contract with the Vancouver Canucks. And we will have a full show, almost entirely dedicated to getting you set for the Jets and the Oilers. And some early news already. Jets capturing game one, get Pierre-Luc Dubois back in the lineup for game number two tonight. They'll have to wait at least another game for Nick Ehlers to rejoin the crew. So Pierre-Luc Dubois back in, Nick Ehlers not in. Again, full preview coming up right here on Tim and Friends. But I know a lot of you want the latest on the Leafs and Habs, a series that began with about as much hype as you could possibly have without fans in the building almost to go the exact opposite way, less than 11 minutes in, when Leafs captain John Tavares suffered a gruesome injury, just 10-29 into game number one. The images made many, including some of the toughest dudes on the ice, sick to their stomach. Rarely, if ever, has anyone heard an arena in the National Hockey League fall as silent as it did last night in Toronto. Uh, to be honest, it was difficult. Um, uh, first, I'll just you know that I've, I've experienced a lot of different things, a, a lot of uh, tough injuries and stuff like that in, in in my time as a player and as a coach. But uh, in an empty building like that, that was probably the most uncomfortable situation that I've been a part of on the ice. So it was uh, really tough to get through. Our players were were, were rattled and concerned. And it was obvious, and it wasn't even just the players. How about GM Kyle Dubas rushing down the stairs? All a stark reminder of just how fine the line is in our national sport and how dangerous it can be even in the most innocuous of times. The Leafs released a statement earlier today updating the health of Tavares, saying, quote, Toronto Maple Leafs captain John Tavares has been discharged from the hospital this morning. He was thoroughly examined and assessed by the neurological team at St. Michael's Hospital and the club's medical director. He was kept overnight for observation, is now resting at home under the care and supervision of team physicians. Tavares will be out 
indefinitely. The captain himself released his own statement this afternoon, a little after the Leafs released theirs. The support I felt, he said, since last night could not be put into words. I am thankful to share that I'm back home and recovering. Thank you to my family, friends, teammates, the Maple Leafs organization, Leafs Nation, and the hockey community for being by my side. Also, thank you to both medical teams emergency services, and everyone at St. Mike's Hospital for their exceptional care to get me back on my feet, which is great news. I look forward to when I can wear the maple leaf on my chest again. Until then, I'll be cheering the boys along with Leafs Nation as we compete in the Stanley Cup playoffs. At practice today, Jason Spezza said that Tavares had also reached out to players individually. Morgan Riley and Austin Matthews said the team focus obviously remains on the health of their captain. John, as the natural leader that he is, I think he's taken it upon himself to reach out to guys to make sure that, you know, he's doing good too. So that just speaks to his character that uh, he's the guy in the hospital and he's worried about us making sure we're ready to go. So, uh, you know, that speaks to his, his character and why he's the leader. Nobody wants us to, to prepare today and to work and to be there tomorrow for, you know, good effort more than him. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, we're playing for him. Well, there's a lot of things, um, you know, in life that are, are bigger, bigger than hockey. Obviously, uh, when you see something like that, um, you know, it, it's scary. But um, you know, we're all glad he's doing better and he's doing all right. The game, as it does, went on without Tavares. Habs 2-1 win, of course. Paul Byron, beautiful. Game-winning goal, shorthanded. But even then, there was no denying that the entire game felt a lot different because of what happened to Tavares. And frankly, what happened immediately after. Nick Foligno on the first face-off after the injury. One of the more respected players in the league had a conversation with Corey Perry. And Habs captain Shea Weber, maybe the most respected player of the league, came over as well. They decided that a fight needed to happen leaving more than a few folks to speculate if the Leafs actually believed that Perry didn't do enough to avoid the collision. But that speculation seemed to be squashed post-game by Felino and later Perry himself. Our captain's laying on the ice. Uh, it's nothing more than that. And I think Perry obliged and... You know, it's uh, it's unfortunate. I don't think it's it's malicious, but my captain's laying on the ice. Our captain. I mean, that's that's you don't want to see that, and and I think it just addresses the situation. And everyone moves on from it. It's a scary situation, and um, you know, I'll I'll reach out to him and, and talk to him, and um, hopefully he's okay. But um, and then after that, I mean, uh, Nick came up to me. He said, "Let's just settle this now. Let's not wait." And I, you know, gotta do what you gotta do. Listen, bicker all you want on Twitter. It sure as hell looked like an accident. And we've had enough chats on this show about the code and what the players in the game are attempting to do by holding others accountable. So it's not as if we're ignorant to that. I'm not sure the Leafs just saw their captain on the ice and were mad, like Nick Foligno said. If they thought that's bleeping Corey Perry again, if they thought... Ah, maybe this is meant to fire up the boys after the energy was sucked out of the building. Or the Leafs are so focused on proving that they won't be pushed around again. Any way you slice it, it left a lot of smart, smart excuse me, hockey folks scratching their heads as to why a fight needed to take place in that moment of time. But to be fair, it was talked about by three men 
two of them among the more respected in the game, and Corey Perry, who agreed to it, took his lumps and moved on. Now, before you completely judge this and just make your assessment, which a lot of folks on Twitter do, and I understand it, it's 2021, watch the rest of the series and see if anything comes of it. If Perry operates on or over the line again, it's never open and shut, never black and white as much as places like Twitter really want it to be. So now how does the series look moving forward? Lost in all that to some, to some was the second straight night where a Vesna Trophy winning underdog goalie stole a game. I mean, Carey Price looked like Carey Price. And the save on Mitch Marner in the third period was as good as they come on planet Earth. And has a lot of folks wondering, and Leafs fans, holy bleeping, is that the price that we are going to see for the series? Because if it is, the matchup got a whole lot closer. Can the Leafs beat Carey Price and the Habs without their third leading scorer and captain? Well, here to help us wander that road is a man who has seen a lot in his 40 or so years around the professional game. One of my favorites to listen to talk about the game, whether it's old school Bob McCowan on Hockey Night at a podium on the NHL on Sportsnet, a man who once scolded me for saying that he had barbecue sauce on his face during the 24-7 series Road to the Winter Classic, Bruce Boudreaux. Hey, Bruce, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate you taking the time. No problem, and it was not barbecue sauce. I know. I'm telling you to this day. <laughs> I know. I, I, have, I, have, I have corrected myself many a times on the air. It was not barbecue sauce. Okay, no problem. <laughs> uh, in your time in the game, obviously, you have seen a lot. Have you ever seen something like that where it feels like the entire game stops? And then how do you respond in those moments? Well, you know, I've been on uh, on the ice when, when bad injuries have occurred. And, and it is a, a silence deafening. I don't know what it's, I can't remember what it would be like um, with no fans in the building. But the, the thing that got me, I mean, when it first happened, I said, oh, John's hurt. And, um, but... When he tried to get up and then he looked and he went back in it and his body was concocted in a different way. That's when, like, I mean, yeah. the hair and my uh, arms and neck started to stand up. I'm going, oh, my God, he's really hurt. And um, and I and I could and I felt for him and I could feel for Corey Perry because he's a he's a caring guy. And I know he steps over the line to as a, as sometimes as a rat or anything. But to me, that was. And I know I've coached him for four and a half years. That was totally accidental. There was no way Corey ever meant to uh, um, hit him in the head with his knee. So I, and it's, it's funny because uh, we've done things on the code on this show. Kevin Bieksa came on a couple of weeks ago after the Edler Simmons fight and gave a wonderful explanation of the code. I've sat at my, at the foot of my dad's couch while he's told me and tried to teach me about what it is and how players are trying to hold each other accountable. How did you feel when you saw the fight between Perry and Felino? And as a coach, would you marry, maybe have kept Perry off the ice? after that first shift absolutely i would have kept perry off the ice i mean uh you're sort of just uh begging them to put somebody on at that point but i didn't like the fight myself because then my first thoughts were what's next if you take a shot from the point and you hit a guy in the face accidentally uh does that mean you have to fight the guy for taking a high shot like i mean uh 
Uh, I didn't think it, it had anything. Everybody in the, not only in the building, but that was watching it knew that it wasn't, it wasn't Tom Wilson hitting him in the head. Then all of a sudden you would have said, okay, like, I mean, uh, did he mean it? We got to go after him. But, uh, um, and I didn't think it had uh, anything to do with the, with the game in that sense that even if, you know, Nick, is a really good fighter, and I, I thought he gave it to Corey pretty well. I don't think it affected either team um, emotionally, like to uh, to make them better or, or worse, uh, because they just continued to play after that. It wasn't like one team had an extra boost other uh, against the other team. I thought. Yeah, I would agree with that. It felt like it almost felt like everyone kind of swallowed really hard, and there was a lump in everyone's throat, and they, and they tried to. How do you block out? A situation like that and then continue on even for the Leafs today at practice every question they're talking about their captain who was in hospital all night well I, I'm willing to bet that uh, after the period uh, um, there was a in the room there was an update on on John's condition that the and they said he was going to be okay and everything and and let's now let's play for him and so they would have continued to play uh, play for him I mean when he gave the thumbs up and you could see a couple times it looked to me like he tried to get up, but um, the trainers wouldn't let him. And they're saying, you know, stay down, stay down. But he wanted to, he wanted to fight and get up, or not fight, but he wanted to get up and, and go to the bench um, on his own. But uh, I think they would have they would have let the players know in between periods how he was, and I think that would have sort of curbed it. Let's go win for him. And I mean, uh, everybody on the ice from. You know, from Corey to Price to Weber came over and made sure he was okay. So uh, I'm glad he's okay. I mean, I don't know how bad the concussion is. I know, I know he's not playing tomorrow or probably the next game, but uh, hopefully he'll be all right very soon. Yeah, things pointing the right way, and obviously we we wish Johnny a quick and speedy recovery. Nothing but the best. Uh, it, it moves away from hockey for for a quick moment. The, the quick question, though, once you've realized that we might be in a good spot, is can the Leafs win without Tavares in the lineup? They have before, and they can again. I mean, there's no doubt that the Leafs are deep this year. I mean, they're deep in, in talent. They're deep in, in, in NHL players up front. I, I just, there's, you know, obviously John's a big part of the team, but, I mean, I think the team will play uh, a little bit harder now that he's not in, not in the lineup. But... I mean, it's not like some other years, or it's not like last year when Winnipeg lost Shifley and they didn't have anybody else to counteract uh, act, um, the Calgary team. It's they've, they've still got a lot of firepower, and I mean, their goal is to get to three goals, and they, they don't uh, they don't get uh, stopped at one goal too often. So, I mean, I firmly believe that this is it's a little bit of a deterrent, but uh, it's by no means makes Montreal favorites to win the series. I will say uh, one thing that may have changed people's opinions on what they thought going into the series was how good Carey Price looked in this game. Yeah, I've seen him at his, at his best many times, and uh, um, he, he looked like he was just moving, uh, and like he could read where the puck was going, and that's when Carey's at his best is when, when like he, he looks like there's not a lot of movement in his game, and he's just and there's rebounds are sticking to him like glue. And when that stuff is happening, it's like you're in trouble. 
I thought Shea Weber didn't look close to 100%, and I say that because I loved his performance regardless last night. It just seemed like he was gutting it out, a warrior-like performance. Where does he rank among guys that you would like on a team that you coach? Who's that again? I'm sorry to hear Shea Weber? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, (laughs) who wouldn't want Shea Weber? A big 6'3", 225-pound guy that could shoot the puck through boards if uh, if it was necessary and i've faced him in seven game series and he's he's a rock and i think this year uh being healthy in in the playoffs and and i think it was great that montreal i mean for montreal being a leaf fan i don't think it was that great um <laughs> that uh he uh um sat out the last few games along with carrie yeah. price to rest him and get them ready for the playoffs so uh He's going to be he's going to be a rock back there. He's everybody respects him so much. And the the big thing I saw about Montreal's defense is they were really boxing out really good. And he's a main main character in the boxing out. Uh, with, you know, so so Kerry could see the puck last night. You know, there aren't many of those uh, old school dangerous power forwards anymore. Uh, Josh Anderson plays in that role. How close is he to being one of those rare beasts that can score and that you got to know when he's on the ice? You know, you have to know. I first saw him play in the Calder Cup Finals in Hershey uh, about five years ago, and uh, I and I remember phoning right away. Hey, do you guys have your eyes on this Josh Anderson kid? And uh, um, they said, Yeah, he's the big prospect at, in Columbus's farm team in in Cleveland. And and man, like when he took off through the middle there, like it, you sometimes you don't realize how good a skater he is. But a, a guy that's that big and can skate and um, can score, uh, they're hard commodities to come by. And, and as we all know, I mean, the league needs, every team would like uh, a Josh Anderson on their team. Uh, last one before I let you go, and I kind of want to finish where we started. Do you think the fact that Corey Perry and Nick Felino fought, we won't see any of that kind of shenanigans for the rest of the series? Well, I don't think, you know, you'll see it with Corey, um, unless Corey does something that's, you know, I mean, it's a pretty highly emotional series and yeah. I mean somebody could do something to somebody and I think you'd see the same thing but I mean if that's going to be the code that they're playing by then I, I guarantee that if um, a Montreal player uh, especially an important player got hurt yeah. you might see uh, one of the one of these guys jump out jump over the boards and and make them accountable within a fight. I mean, I hope we don't see it because uh, I just think it gets away from, uh, especially if it's a clean play or it's an accidental play, um, that it takes away from the game. But uh, uh, in in this highly emotional series, and when I say highly emotional, unless you've been in a Toronto-Montreal playoff, you really don't know how much, how emotional it is, that it, it could happen again. I uh, love the knowledge that you bring to the table. And someone wrote in and said, if it wasn't barbecue sauce, it was blank. And it's a skin, it was a skin condition, right? Like that was what it yes. was. Yes. It was eczema. Eczema. There you go. I, I, I said it before. I'll say it again. No more barbecue sauce, anybody. <laughs> Bruce Boudreaux, we love having you on the show. Thanks for doing this. All right. It was my pleasure. Thanks, All guys. Right. Be well. Okay. There is uh, Bruce Boudreaux. So there you go. There's your answer. Anthony, I know you wrote into the show and you wanted to know what it was. Uh, he told us at the time, skin condition, eczema, not barbecue sauce. Does everyone remember that moment, Jesse? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so. Okay. Anthony, Anthony probably Anthony did. remembers yeah. the moment. Yeah, I don't know how many people remember the moment, but he scolded me, and I listened to the scolding. Uh, still to come, Kelly Rudy on the Leafs and Habs. We'll also look ahead, game number two between the Jets and Oilers. Plus, best of the week, and after the break, ESPN's June Lee on the unicorn that is Shohei Otani. Are we appreciating what he's doing enough? Plus, the Jays' tough loss last night. Now they start a four-game series with the Rays, an important one. Tim and friends, and it's Friday. Wonder if Polino's going right at Perry, and yeah. I think Perry's uh, the gloves are ready. Are ready to come off. Let's get it over with and move on to the game. Paul Byron gets there. Losing seven of nine in the regular season to the Edmonton Oilers. The Winnipeg Jets take game one. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Shohei Otani. What can't he do? Welcome back. We like to think we here on Tim and Sid, Tim and Friends, whatever iteration of the show we are in. We have led y'all to some of the greatest writers and broadcasters in the business before they hit the big time. I mean, back in the podcast days, we had Adrian Wojnarowski. Now, look at our boy Woj. Sam Mitchell before TSN Tiefdom. Jeff Passan before he joined ESPN. Chris Haynes. Hockey. Natalie Spooner. Colby Arm. I think you get it. We might be a little late on this rising star, but far be it from me to act like I can't tape the old ankles and jump on this bandwagon. Allow me to introduce ESPN's June Lee as he tells us about the wonderment that is not only living up to the hype, but surpassing it. You know, fake anchors with big voices always say things like, a once-in-a-lifetime talent. That's facts when it comes to Shohei Otane. Here's June Lee. We're witnessing history. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Shohei Otani! What can't he do? The baseball unicorn that was promised has arrived this year. Oh, and first pitch crushing! Oh man! Here's a guy that throws a ball 101 on one half of the inning, and the next one is the first pitch 450 feet. Don't get us wrong, Shohei Otani has been good in the past, but this season. He's reached a different level. He's the second player in history with 10 homers and a game with 10 strikeouts in the season. The other, himself in his rookie year. He's the only player ever to hit a ball at least 110 miles per hour and throw 100 plus in the same game. Simply put, he's dominating at the plate and on the mound, and everyone can't help but take notice. Marcus Stroman calls him, quote, a mythical legend in human form. Kevin Durant said he's a different breed. Even J.J. Watt is blown away saying, quote, what he's doing in baseball is insane. We think of our sport more and more as a regional sport. What makes it national? Well, I wasn't going to miss that. He's a superstar. He's a special talent. I keep saying this, and people always laugh when I say it. He the best baseball player I've ever seen in my life. Wow. Are you kidding me? Can hit a ball 900 feet and throw 99 <laughs> off the mound. Yeah. Like, who else, who can, else do can do that? Who's who done else it? is doing that, bro? When he arrived in the show, he captured the imagination of sports fans everywhere. But his first three seasons left us wanting more. 
Well, he's delivered on the hype now, getting early MVP buzz, and he's exactly what baseball needs. Joining us on his maiden voyage here on Tim and Friends, ladies and gentlemen, June Lee. What's going on, June? Thanks Thank for you for this. having me on. Absolute pleasure to be on with you guys. Uh, we're glad to have you. Um, the, the best part of the piece for me is when CC Sabathia says he's the best player on planet Earth, and then there's surprise in return. Like, why, when we saw what it was leading up to, are we still kind of surprised that people say this is the best player on planet Earth? Because he's doing something that only people of Little League do, and he's doing it at the major league level. He's throwing 100 miles per hour and also hitting like he's Giancarlo Sten in terms of exit velocity. Like this guy is such a unicorn of a baseball player that there's literally nobody coming up right now that's doing what he's doing. And not only not doing what he's doing, but Shohei Otani is doing it at the highest possible level that you could be doing. He's pitching like an ace and he's also leading, you know, he's one of the top home run hitters in baseball. And so it's one of those things where it's, you fantasize about it. You create players in MLB, the show that could potentially do that, but to actually see it in real life, it makes you just like blink your eyes on a day-to-day basis and question like, what are we watching right now? There's almost not enough words to describe what he's doing. There's no comparison other than Babe Ruth. And like that by itself feels so wild because it's a completely different era of baseball. The fact that he's doing in the modern era is, is so crazy. Listen, I'm 45 and Babe Ruth feels like a mythical creature to me. Like it's, I'm I'm (laughs) not exactly, I'm not going to lie. Like people say Babe Ruth and you're just like, yeah, whatever. I, I I've seen the movies. I understand it. He was this thing that we were never going to see again. Do you, do you think that this is the type of once-in-a-lifetime talent that we don't see? Or could he open the door for guys who are skilled enough to maybe be looked at as someone who could do this because Otane pulled it off? I think there's a potential that we could see, guys. We had Brendan McKay come out of Louisville a couple years ago as both both a first baseman and a pitcher, and he's pretty good at both. He's obviously not Shohei Otani because nobody is. Um, But... It's, it's one of those things where it feels almost unfair to compare Otani to any, anyone else. He's kind of a singular guy. And, you know, when I think about kind of the greatest athletes, uh, especially in the modern era, like the only comparison I can kind of think of is a guy like Bo Jackson, who is obviously yeah. an elite running back and uh, was an incredible power hitting baseball player. But even that is different because obviously Bo Jackson was a football player, but, you know, he wasn't as good a hitter as Otani is. And the thing that I think is, hilarious and fascinating about all of this is that Otani was doing this in Japan. Yeah. He was doing this with, with the Nippon ham fighters. And when he came over, a lot of people doubted him. Um, but if you watch that footage, it was clear that he was an elite hitter there and had all the skill and potential to make that translate over to the United States. And the fact that we're actually seeing it now, like I I've been following Shohei Otani since he was 17 years old as like a peripheral nerdy baseball fan. (laughs) And when he came over, he, he, he almost came over uh, to the United States when he was coming out of high school. And the reason he didn't sign with the U S was because no major league team wanted him to be both a pitcher and a hitter. And when, uh, Nippon, uh, the Nippon Ham Fighters drafted him number one overall. They guaranteed him the opportunity to both hit and pitch. And so I think the irony of all of this is that we're not seeing this in Major League Baseball if Shohei Otani comes to Major League Baseball first before, yeah, uh, yeah immediately out of high school. And so I think, I think that is kind of emblematic of a lot of things of just like kind of the ways that Americans in general are very set in their ways. Um, no, but 
<laughs> I think uh, I think also like this is it's it's so magical to watch on a day to day basis, and there's. I feel I personally feel like not enough sports fans beyond baseball fans are talking about this because it is truly remarkable what he's doing on the night tonight. I completely agree. So when do we hold the Angels accountable for wasting not only Mike Trout's prime but maybe Shohei Otani's prime? Well, I feel like this is just emblematic of the fact that baseball is a team sport, right? Like you, you have Mike Trout who but surround uh, them. Know, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's Mike Trout is maybe going to end his career as one of the five greatest baseball <laughs> players ever, and he is still how, somehow not the most talented player on his team on the baseball field, which is just a crazy sentence to utter. But it it's is. also emblematic of the fact that b- baseball, you can't have just one guy or two guys lead you to the playoffs. Uh, it is a team sport built on depth, built on bullpen, built on rotation. And, you know, if you had a guy like Shohei Otani's talent on the baseball field, I think is probably only comparable to someone like LeBron. And obviously LeBron is able to bring his team to the playoffs and the NBA finals on a year to year basis. So I think this is, you know, the Angels, I just, they have Anthony Rondon too, who they spent so much money to get and is also an elite offensive player. And so it's, it's honestly sad to watch it because imagine if he's playing with the Dodgers, right? If he's yeah. playing with the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox, uh, one of these big market teams, He's a way bigger story nationally than he is playing with the Angels. But I also think that's part of what he wanted and part of the reason why he signed with the Angels in the first place. Yeah, I remember uh, Arden Swelling of Sportsnet did a wonderful story when he was still in Japan, kind of following and chronicling what it was. And we talked to Arden at the time, and you're just thinking in your head, like, imagine this guy comes over here. He'll be a massive, massive star. And lo and behold, he's here. And I don't know if I'm with you. I don't know if we're appreciating as much. Okay, so what's more shocking to you? What Otani's doing or umpires wearing Jordans? <laughs> uh, I, would, I would probably say Otani, okay. but I mean, the Jordans thing comes pretty close. Um, I wrote a story today for ESPN.com, yeah. uh, and to start this, this photo of Hunter Wendelstead that you see on your screen now uh, is kind of emblem. It, it was during a Sunday night baseball game between, uh, I believe, the Phillies and the Braves, and I noticed that. Uh, Hunter Wendelstead, who's been a longtime umpire, he runs a, a school uh, named, in, named in his dad's honor, Harry Wendelstead, uh, where he trains kind of the next generation of umpires. And he was wearing a pair of Jordan 11 Jubilees, which is um, a pretty hyped up, expensive pair of sneakers. I think they go for $300 <laughs> on StockX. Yeah. And I was just confused as, as someone who loves sneakers personally. What is an umpire who's in his 50s doing wearing a pair of Jordans? So I tweeted out the photo, and then Trevor Williams of the Cubs tweets back at me and said, like, he's not the only umpire wearing Jordans. So I shot him a text, and he said it's been happening across baseball, across crews, uh, umpiring crews. And uh, I reached out to a bunch of umpires. Uh, Jordan Baker was one of them. Uh, and fans at, uh, at Angel Stadium in Anaheim, have recognized the fact that he wore Jordans and they made signs for him that literally say air Jordan Baker. Like when is the last time, if ever like Shohei Otani that you saw an umpire have signs made for them? I have never seen that. Uh, And so I feel like it's just emblematic of sneaker culture kind of becoming mainstream culture. Now it used to be kind of this niche hobby and now it's, Full out in the mainstream and and an acceptable foot of formal uh, footwear to a certain degree. A couple things. One, uh, I, like you, a bit of a sports nerd. I had an umpire's hat. I had an AL hat when I was in high school. Full back. No one had it. Thought I was cool as bleep. Uh, Two, 
Uh, I think Angel Hernandez has had signs made about him, but they weren't all that complimentary. Um, let's talk about the Jays for a split second here. Two days ago, uh, Marley Rivera is on the show, and the Jays are playing for first place in the division, and I'm saying to Marley, I think this might be the best team in the American League East. And she says to me, I'll bet you, and I kind of wimped around a little bit, and then I said, well, you know, and, and, and so lo and behold, we're playing tonight against the, the Rays, and the Jays are in fourth place in the division, albeit two and a half games back. Like, that's a big caveat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a huge caveat. I mean, it's just it's a what in the name of Marto, Marco Scudero is going on in this division? Right now? <laughs> As a Red Sox fan myself, I appreciate the Marco Scudero <laughs> reference. Um, I mean. Between the NL West and the AL East, I think those are the two best divisions in baseball right now. And the Yankees, I think, on paper have the most talented roster in baseball, uh, or one of the most talented rosters in baseball, and definitely in this division. But we've seen with the Red Sox this year, you know, they've they've kind of put together this season where Nick Pavetta, Martin Perez, and Garrett Richards are the anchors of their rotation. And with Toronto, I mean, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. legitimately looks like he's completely fulfilling his potential right now. He's not only the massive power hitter that we expected him to be, but he's also living up to the hitter potential, you know, hitting 300, having one of the best slash lines in the sport. Uh, I mean, my only concern with Toronto and kind of their long-term prospects as we move forward into the season is the rotation and the depth of that rotation. Mm-hmm. Hyunjin Ryu is, I think, one of the most underrated starting pitchers in baseball and is a, a bona fide ace and has been incredible uh, over the course of the last couple of seasons. Um, but the lack of depth in that rotation definitely kind of worries me. And we'll see how, you know, folks like Steven Matz pan out over the course of the year. Um, but, you know, for now, this is, I think Toronto is one of the most exciting young teams in baseball between, you know, having Springer, having, having Vladdy Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio. There's so much exciting young talent. I kind of view them in a similar vein as I did the Chicago White Sox last year coming into the season where right. you had guys like Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez and uh, Tim Anderson uh, kind of anchoring that roster with a lot of youth. And I think Toronto's kind of on a similar path. So with a couple free agent additions, I think they're going to be right there uh, with the rest of these teams besides the Orioles for the division on a, on an annual basis over the next couple of years. Poor Orioles. Uh, the reason why I, the reason why I felt comfortable saying that with Marley is I believe that given the, the prospect capital that the Jays have, if they are hanging around the way they are right now, they will go grab an arm at the deadline and that will make them serious contenders in the division. Yeah, I mean, I think they've done an incredible job of kind of building out the foundation of this roster. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think Vladdy Jr. is an incredible player, um, but we're going to see how he ages long term. He's obviously a bigger guy. He came into spring training last year, pretty, pretty severely rather overweight. Yeah, rather rotund. Right, yeah. exactly. And I'm very, very excited personally. And I said this last year, um, but I think Bo Bichette has the potential to be the best, most consistent player on this team for Toronto in the long term because of his position, his style of play, uh, and what he brings to the field on a night-to-night basis. I think between Vladdy Jr. and Bo Bichette, those are two franchise co- cornerstones that uh, hopefully will will be with Toronto for a while in terms of building out the foundation of their roster because um, it's, you know, obviously we spoke about Otani and, and Trout. You can't mm-hmm. just build a, a team around two players, but right. um, Toronto obviously has the resources to go out and, and make big free agent signings given the size of the market and the fact that they've done that in the past. Hey, we call it Tim and Friends because it's really Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. And another friend of the show is Adnan Verk. And I know uh, that you're really excited about kind of a joint venture that you're doing Sunday, if I'm not mistaken, on MLB Network. Tell us a little bit about it. 
Yeah, we actually just finished taping our segment pretty, I think, two hours ago. Oh, nice. uh, it's hosted by Stephen Nelson and Adnan Verk, and it's, it was basically a frank conversation about the state of what it's like to be Asian-American, uh, or I guess in, in you know, the similar racial dynamics if you're an Asian person in Canada, um, and kind of the, the things that you go through as myself, a, a first-generation uh, Korean-American, um, kind of the, we talk about the model minority myth and, and how Asians often feel pressured to, to stay quiet uh, in terms of issues in general, but also the racial discourse of America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we also talked about our experiences coming up in the sports media industry where there is not a lot of Asian American representation. I know that for me personally, seeing folks like Adnang, seeing folks like Pablo Torre and Mina Kimes and Sweeney Murdy, who's also on this panel, uh, kind of helped fuel my motivation to pursue a career in this industry. And is you know, when I was, uh, I was an intern at the Washington Post, and when I, I applied for that internship, I, I wrote an essay about how one of my internal driving factors to be someone in this industry was to become a voice for Asian Americans because there was nobody who I felt like represented me in the media when awesome. I was growing up. And so um, it was an incredibly frank and authentic conversation, and I highly recommend you tune in because I think uh, everyone can get something from it. And it doesn't happen very often in this day and age in the world, especially on free TV. So good on you. Amazing. And as you said, intern, I thought back, Adnan and I started as interns together at The Score. Amazing. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on, Tim. This was blessed. This was a blast. Uh, June Lee, everybody, ESPN. Hopefully, he'll be back very soon. After the break, it is Friday. We'll have some fun. Best of the week right here on Tim and Friends. Actually, we have two Friday shows today. Do we do two best of the weeks? Probably not. Probably not. This is Tim and Friends. Last uh, Friday, we teed up the WNBA season. We got a few of those tweets, you know, the ones with Joe61978314 that does the, what are you doing? I'm changing the channel. Well, if you wrote that, or the bot that wrote that, you are among the only people and bots to do that. The opening weekend of the WNBA season saw a ratings increase of 325% from last season. And the Aces Storm game Saturday was the most watched WNBA regular season game ever in Canada. Canada's team, perhaps, the Minnesota Lynx. And Natalie Achanwa, who hails from Toronto, will join Tara Sloan on top of her game this Sunday. Catch it at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet Now as a part of of Canada basketball's Mad Love campaign, Ochanwa wrote a poem. Here it is. It's hard when they tell you who you can be. The sky is the limit. Just wait and you'll see. So I eagerly run to turn on the TV only to find out none of these athletes look like me. All the sports channels are showing highlights and lowlights of every sport you can think of, except the one every night that I dream of. Like being fourth in the world is an easy feat. Like we don't show up every single summer without missing a beat. All I ask is for us to get a fair shot, maybe swap out that rerun during the 7 p.m. slot. It has never been said that equal means we are the same. We just want a fair shot at our own fame. We want nothing more than what we deserve, a chance to inspire that next little girl. Instead of growing up with comments like get back in the kitchen or having to coward and hide in submission, instead, she can stand with her head held high, knowing she doesn't have to aspire to hoop like some guy. 
When she turns on the TV, she can learn to be shifty like Maya Marie. Our faces and names should be known, like the Tatums, homegrown, Brampton's very own. For the resilience, strength, and how we have grown, we deserve all the flowers and the love to be shown. I will always keep it real and give you the facts. Just like these young kids say, I promise no cap. I know a couple women who would give you the biz. Try Kia, Murr, Kim, or Liz. And listen, I swear I can do this all day because the next generation is also storming this way. And if at some point I lost you along the way, I'll remind you the message, just repeat what I say. Bet on women, invest in women, protect women, respect women. And I promise not to bore you ever again if you promise to provide equal representation because no one needs a poem, a song, or a revelation. Just put women's sports on the damn television. Mad love. Natalie Chanwa. And I think the rating showed that. That was pretty... 325% up. Availability, maybe accessibility, means a little something. Definitely. Awesome job. Uh, again, you can see Natalie Chanwa. She joins Tara Sloan, top of her game, Sunday, 11.30 a.m. Eastern on Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet Now. Time now for the best of the week. Here's how it works, kids. We'll show you the options, then you can head over to sportsnet.ca slash vote slash vote to make your choice. Uh, nominee number one, we all know that the Astros stole signs en route to winning a World Series. Josh Reddick may no longer play for the Houston Astros, but against... The Dodgers at Dodger Stadium, the organist, Thursday night, wanted to send a friendly reminder they have not forgotten. Listen to what's playing in the background during his at-bat. <laughs> I saw the sign. Or heard the oh, sign. Oh, jeez, Peter. Peter, you got any garbage can songs? <laughs> wow. Uh, for those who don't know, I saw the sign, Ace of Base. Uh, that's nominee number one. Nominee number two. I like to think that I call a pretty good game. Mike Breen is one of the few broadcasters I will say might call an even better game. In fact, he was just inducted into the Basketball <laughs> Hall of Fame. But even Mr. Christie burns a cookie or two. Noel keeps it alive, but right to Taco Bell. Here comes Parker. Did I just say Taco Bell? <laughs> oh, my goodness. You must be hungry, bro. <laughs> you like that one, eh, Taco Bell? I can't, I can't get enough of it. And I just love the timing. He was just inducted into the Hall of Fame, and then he's calling his out his own mistakes. If that's, if that's your worst mistake, take it and run. It'll be okay. I can't repeat my worst mistake <laughs> on air. Nominee number three. The last one made me hungry. This man makes me jealous. Stanley Cup playoffs are in full swing. Most games outside the North Division saw fans return to the stands. Bring them back that electric atmosphere we've been missing for a while. Tail end avalanche win over the Blues in game number two. Colorado fans broke into song. Yeah, that's right. From Ace of Base to Blink 182.
honestly, Jesse Rubinoff, is there anything better than a sing-along at, like, 10 to 15,000 people. No, I mean, this is a great <laughs> musical version of Best of the Week that we're just over here rocking out. Right. Doing a little bit of Blink 182. Love it. Uh, fans at the ball arena were making me want to sing, maybe even dance too. If you want to rock out, let's continue. Uh, I filled my dance quota for the show earlier this week. Apparently, the crew here at Tim and Friends liked my rendition of The Running Man. So my, I had a couple of different options this week. Uh, the Running Man is the one that apparently they wanted to add to the best of the week. All this sports has me more excited than my first night out post-pandemic. It'll look something like this. I don't know. You cannot move like that. I can move like that. Can the Jays take over first in the AL East tonight? We discuss it. Oh, oh Tim and Friends. Oh, no. <laughs> there was some junk in that trunk. Are you more proud of that or the robot from uh, the fire alarm, ep- alarm oh, yeah, episode? The robot was more my uh, yeah, more my more your style. Yeah, yeah. Both really sure. impressive. And I don't though. think uh, many people saw. The uh, the knee come up and the hand shifted because the Ooh, desk was, was in the way. Body thing, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. you couldn't you couldn't quite see Got it. it. Head to sportsnet.ca <laughs> to make your pick slash vote. Sportsnet.ca slash vote to make your pick on our plays of the day. Back to hockey after the break. Big night for the Oilers as they try to bounce back and even the series with the Jets. Plus the latest on John Tavares. Leafs Habs Jets Oilers next with Kelly Rudy right here. Tim and friends. On a Friday. And now, time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McCallum and friends of the show. Bush Gracias Sheepdogs back here for another 30 minutes. Kelly Rudy will join me shortly. As we head into game four of the Bruins and the Caps available on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. That's part of another jam-packed night. On the network, we got games everywhere. Game three, Canes Preds. That's on FX Canada at 7 Eastern. Rays and Jays is on Sportsnet 1. WWE Smackdown. It's available on SN Now. And for Sportsnet subscribers on Sportsnet.ca and the Sportsnet app, you can get it for free by clicking on the watch button. By the way, Sportsnet Now is free to many Sportsnet subscribers. You should check it out. Abs and Blues over on Sportsnet 360. Still waiting, by the way, on the Nazem Kadri suspension. I mean, they play tonight. We're expecting to hear something in the not-so-distant future. How much will it be for Mr. Kadri? And, of course, Game 2, Jets, Oilers. On Sportsnet and CBC, the Jets lead the series one game to none thanks to their 4-1 win on Wednesday. Nick Ehlers remains out of Winnipeg's lineup, though he could return, we're hearing, for a game number three. Reinforcements, though, will be there. Pierre-Luc Dubois returns tonight. He had eight goals, 12 assists in 41 games after being acquired from Columbus. That's a fresh start. Playoffs to 
is an opportunity to kind of define your year, regardless of how you played in the regular season. He went through such a, a tumultuous journey to get to the playoffs here for us. So I'd like him to go keep the game as simple as he can after his little bit of a layoff here. I love a good challenge. I love competing. I love, you know, going out there and, you know, it's every game's important during throughout the regular season, but playoffs, it's, you know, it's magnified. Everything's magnified. Competitors, when it comes to playoff time, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of kill or be killed out there. And, um, you know, it makes it even more exciting. Not many folks get to do it, uh, especially these days. So I love getting in the barns on game day with more on tonight's game. Let's head inside the rink, check in with Gene Principe. Uh, thanks for being a friend once again, Gene. Hey, Tim, a pleasure. Uh, interesting uh, turn of events as uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois has gone from the uh, non-contact jersey not that long ago to the contact jersey to the I'm ready to have contact <laughs> in a game jersey, which is a big boost for the Winnipeg Jets. Not that they, I'm not saying they don't need it because the, the kid was a, a monster uh, for Columbus in last year's playoffs. And he really has, I think, not only the game, but just that size that's uh prototypical for someone to potentially have success in the playoffs but uh, you know I think the Jets used the fact that they were missing uh, Nick Ehlers who's a speedy uh, skilled um, great scorer for them and a piece like Pierre-Luc Dubois both out of the lineup it's like come on guys we got to pick this up and and they did so uh, with Luke Dubois back I'll be curious to see how that impacts things and listen the Oilers uh, they admitted themselves they were a bit um, nervous jittery uh, maybe anxious. Uh, one thing about the Oilers, uh, they've got some great experience with the likes of Alex Chason and James Neal, uh, Mike Smith. But when you look at some of their younger core, and I'll, I'll put Ryan Nugent Hopkins in there, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Darnell Nurse, um, other than the 2017 playoffs where they went to Game 7 of the second round, they don't have a lot of playoff experience. They settled in, Tim, uh, in periods two and three, and thanks to Connor Hellebuck uh, for the Jets, they weren't able to get, uh, you know, a second or third goal. But I would expect that they truly will come out flying tonight in game two. All right, so let's talk about that, the, the lack of scoring from the Edmonton Oilers. It's not often you look down at a score sheet and you see nothing from Connor McDavid and nothing from Leon Dreisaitl. I think the one power play had something to do with it, but how does Dave Tippett get more out of his superstars? Yeah, great point, Tim. Uh, only one power play. The Oilers were uh, very disciplined. The Jets as well, because oftentimes to stop Leon and to stop Connor, uh, you do have to take some penalties. They just had the one opportunity with the game, if I remember correctly, tied at one. So even though it was only one chance, it was at a big point in the game. It could have given Edmonton a chance to uh, take a lead. How do you get those two going? What do you say to them? Like, if you're Dave Tippett, you're like, okay, guys, uh, you know, like, I, I need some points out of you. I mean, nobody knows it uh, better than those two. Nobody, uh, with no disrespect meant to the other players in the National Hockey League, nobody this season and last season uh, has done it better. So they know exactly what they need to do. I think the, the curiosity will be tonight, Tim, is whether they start on the same line. Uh, right. Last game, they were put together uh, about halfway through, and there's times where, you know, coming out of special team situations where they'll be on the same line. But, you know, Dave Tippett was asked about that. He said, same lineup. Uh, but then a reporter asked him, said, listen, I might be going on a fishing trip here, but, you know, are, are there going to be the same lines? And he said, well, sometimes you know you go fishing and you catch fish and sometimes you go fishing and you don't catch catch fish and he said no fish for you 
So um, I think we'll have to wait and see whether Leon and Connor are on the same line tonight. But I, I think that they will be. But we'll find out in a couple of hours' time. you got to throw a line to catch a line. Uh, appreciate you, Gene, as always. And we'll check back <laughs> within you, uh, with you a little later on when we do our second show of the yeah. day. Appreciate you doing both of these things. Yeah, you got me hooked, pal. No problem. <laughs> there is uh, Gene Principe, <laughs> one of the best in the business. I think what you say to Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl is just, hey, guys, go do what you've done the entire year. So we'll see if they can do that against the Jets today. Uh, we've got some good news on Maple Leafs captain John Tavares after that horrific injury last night. Team announcing he was released from hospital this morning. Head coach Sheldon Keefe confirmed Tavares suffered a concussion after the brutal knee to the head from Corey Perry and Tavares was knocked to the ice by Ben Sherratt. So here is the statement from the Toronto Maple Leafs, which was released earlier today. Tavares, quote, was thoroughly examined and assessed by the neurological team at St. Michael's Hospital and the club's medical director. He was kept overnight for observation and is now resting at home under the care and supervision of team physicians. Tavares will be out indefinitely. Tavares himself also releasing a statement which read, the support that I felt since last night cannot be put into words. I'm thankful to share that I'm back at home recovering. Thank you to my friends, excuse me, thank you to my family, friends, teammates, the Maple Leafs organization, Leafs Nation, and the hockey community for being by my side. Tavares also thanked all the medical personnel who treated him and finished with, I look forward to when I can wear the maple leaf on my chest again. Until then, I will be cheering on the boys along with Leafs Nation as we compete in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Here's Jason Spezza, who stayed with Tavares on the ice after the hit, followed by Morgan Riley and Austin Matthews. He wasn't really responding to too many, too much that was being going on, so I was just trying to keep him calm. And uh, I actually talked to him when I got home, and he said that, you know, he'd picked up my voice and recognized it so I think that's why I just tried to keep talking him through it just to to calm down John as the natural leader that he is I think he's taking it upon himself to reach out to guys to make sure that you know he's doing good too so that just speaks to his character that uh, he's the guy in the hospital and he's worried about us making sure we're ready to go so uh, you know that speaks to his his character and why he's the leader nobody wants us to to prepare today and to work and to be there tomorrow for you know good effort more than him so um so, yeah, I mean, we're playing for him. Well, there's a lot of things, um, you know, in life that are, are bigger, bigger than hockey. Obviously, uh, when you see something like that, um, you know, it, it's scary. But um, you know, we're all glad he's doing better and he's doing all right. A couple of notes from Leafs practice. Jack Campbell not on the ice. Sheldon Keefe saying it was a maintenance day for the netminder. Meanwhile, Chris Johnston reporting Pierre Ingval and Alex Galchenyuk look poised to join the lineup for game two. Riley Nash practicing as an extra in Vancouver, Travis Green and the Canucks have agreed on a two-year contract extension. Last year, Green led Vancouver to the first playoff round win since 2011. However, the team struggled this year under extenuating circumstances. Obviously, the Canucks finished last in the North with a 23-29 and four record. I wouldn't have signed back here if I didn't believe in what we're doing and what we're capable of doing and where we're going. Uh, I want to win, and, th and that's why I signed back here. I didn't sign back here just to get two more years of coaching in the NHL. I, I know Jim, I know our ownership are committed to winning, and, uh, hey, we own this season. It didn't go the way we wanted to. Uh, I can understand how people would be frustrated with the year, 
Uh, our group needs to evaluate. We need to make changes. Uh, but there's only one reason I signed back here is because I believe that we, we can win with this group. Hmm. All right, listen, we've always enjoyed my conversations with our next guest because he never speaks in sound bites. It's usually well thought out, and I appreciate that. Maybe more than most, it's Kelly Rudy from the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. Thanks for coming on with us, Kelly. I really appreciate it. Wow, what a warm welcome. I guess I'm now officially a friend, right? This, I guess before I was always an acquaintance, but yeah, now I'm you are, officially you, a friend, Tim. You were always a friend, Kelly, going back years and years and years when we used to talk about burgers on the show. Um, right? I know I love it. I want to I talk a little bit about last night's game because I don't know if I've ever seen a game with as much hype heading into it feel so remarkably different less than 11 minutes in as we had last night. How tough is it to play in a game like that? It's very, very difficult. You heard Jen last night talking about the trauma that uh, everybody witnessed, and uh, it's very, very uh, uh, hard to find a way to focus again. All your thoughts are, even if it's uh, on the opposition, about that player's health. That's the only thing you're thinking about. And by the way, it's very emotional, too, because all your senses are really alive during the course of a game anyways. And uh, all of a sudden, you witness something like uh, what we watched last night, and uh, your mind is just racing. You're, uh, you're racing. Uh, you're hoping he's doing okay. Uh, then he leaves on a stretcher, so you don't have any real update about to what's going on. You're forced to play, and I use that word force because it, it sometimes feels like that. I remember back in the minors, Tim, uh, mm -hmm. we had a player. Uh, that had a grand mal seizure in our dressing room between periods. And uh, I, I totally forgot the rest of the game. I don't know what ever happened in that game. All I, I still think about that uh, experience and, and how tra traumatic it was for all of us. And uh, so I, I really, my heart w went out to both teams yesterday. And, and I immediately thought about the Leafs, who kind of, second straight season, right? The Leafs had someone on a stretcher leaving the ice early in the postseason. Last year it was Jake Muzzin in game two against mm -hmm. the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, how, how, if you're in that room practice today in the next couple days, do you attempt to bounce back from an emotional moment like we saw this year again? Well, that is part of the uh, training process that you've grown up with, right? You've been in situations like this before, and so in a, in a weird kind of way, you sort of do learn to adapt to it and uh, sort of make sense of it and uh, move forward. So uh, injuries are always going to be a part of it, and I can make uh, maybe Lee fans a little uh, more comfortable knowing, because John Tavares is a great player, right? You're definitely going to miss him, but in the Easter epic, that uh, game in 87 that I played in. Uh, we were without Dennis Potvin, Mike Bossy, Brent Sutter, and Brian Trotcher is playing with a separated left shoulder and we won. So you can overcome those sorts of things. Maybe not in the long term, but certainly short term. All right, I got to ask you, I have a goaltender on here, and I kept warning all of the favorites in the North that it's really tough to look at Connor Hellebuck and Carey Price and say, these are the two underdogs. By the way, they've got Vesna trophies on their mantle. Is is there something about guys like that who are able to turn it on, Kelly? And did you see that kind of from Carey Price yesterday, or is that oversimplifying things? No, it's not oversimplifying. You know what I believe it is? Uh, it's about attitude and confidence in yourself. And both those two guys you mentioned, I think that is really at the core of who they are. You know, I watched Corey's uh, press conference last night. Uh, 
uh, or carries, excuse me, uh, after the game. And there was just a confidence that you can't fake, right? I mean, that that's just, that's who he is. And same with uh, Connor Hellebuck. I, I remember, and I've told this story many times, when I first had a chat with him, I think it might have been his first or second year in the league. It was after a morning skate. And I went up to him and I, I, I thought he was like a, a really nice guy, but very shy. And I thought, oh boy, this position doesn't usually have shy people because it's such a difficult job. And you need like super confidence, right? You got to be bold and believe in yourself and all that. And that's what Connor Hellebuck has turned into. Like I always say, I just love when he uh, he's asked certain questions and his chin is always upright and he <laughs> looks like the most yeah. confident guy in the world. And yeah. and so when you have that inner belief, like Price and Hellebuck have, you can find ways to get the best out of yourself when it hasn't gone great lately. Uh, Jack Campbell not at practice today. Maintenance day on day two of the playoffs. Is that proof that maybe he's playing with something nagging? Oh, yeah. I, I think every player is. You know, you couldn't, you'd pull all the players right now, and if they're truthful, they'd go, yeah, I got something here, something's bothering me. But, you, again, you learn how to play through it. But uh, when you miss a, a practice between games like this, yeah, there's definitely uh, no question to me that he's got something. I think he's had it for a long, long time, and he's uh, finding a, a, a way to get through it, though. Uh, what do you think we're going to see tonight, Oilers, Jets? I mean, you don't see... Connor and Leon left off the score sheet very often. The Jets, though, get the win. Now they get Pierre-Luc Dubois. Is there some pressure mounting in Edmonton right now? I don't know about pressure. I mean, whenever uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl will go without a point, they're, uh, they're lights out next game. Uh, I, I hope after one home loss that they don't feel that they're uh, you know putting too much pressure on themselves. Just go out and play. They're incredible players. Now, it's not going to be easy versus Winnipeg. I think it was on hockey night. Two weekends ago, I believe it was, we I did a Flames game against Winnipeg, and I showed how they had a 1-3-1, and they just muddied up the neutral zone. It was unbelievable, and that's what they did in game one. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, in our pregame show tonight, I'm going to show some clips about how hard it was for the Oilers to get through the neutral zone, and when they did, oftentimes they're just outnumbered by the Jets. Yeah, without a doubt. Paul Maurice kind of he flipped the script halfway through the season, a little late in the season, where he said, we're going to play a different style. And there was a lot yeah. of humming and hawing. But, man, did you see that in game number one, along with the discipline. One penalty against that dominant, dominant power play. Kelly, always yeah. fun catching up with you. Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Talk to you soon, bud. Be well. There is Kelly. And we're talking burgers next time. We're talking burgers. By the way, uh, stay tuned. Around 7.30 Eastern time, we will have another edition of Tim and Friends coming your way to set up that Jets and Oilers. So if we didn't talk about it enough for you, don't worry. We got you covered in a mere moments. Time for one last break. When we come back, we'll continue to tee up the night on the ice. We'll hear from Kenny and Rennie in Winnipeg. Plus, get you to game four between the Capitals and Bruins on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. That's right, kids. Full slate coming up. We're your pregame. Hey, Oilers fans, it's Brett Kissel. So excited for the game tonight. Uh, Just kind of wondering what I should wear tonight. Should I wear uh, this one for the anthem? Should I wear old school Sean Horkoff? Should I wear, oh, number 17. I wore this in the playoffs. Uh, Ooh, how about this one? Number 97. Uh, oh, this was a good one. The A, my buddy, Jordan Eberle. Oh, Dave Samanko. How about this classic? Should I throw that one on tonight? 
Uh, oh, another Eberle jersey. Yeah, real good pal. Ooh, I like this one. Sheldon Surrey. Remember him? He was awesome. Or should I go back to when we went to the cup final in 2006 and wear this beauty? I don't know. All I do know is that the Oilers are going to win tonight. Let's go, Oilers! <laughs> There's our buddy Brett Kessel. He is singing the anthem tonight in Edmonton. I say, if you're watching, if you're still joining us, Go with the Semenko. You can't go wrong with the Semenko. And I need your help. Listen, yesterday during the show, we opened up our inner channels here at Sportsnet to any of the friends of the network who wanted to weigh in, like Brett, on the Leafs and Habs series and record something, send it to us, we would play it. Just so happened that most, if not all of the recordings were from over-exuberant Leaf fans. WWE superstar Edge, the bare-naked lady Tyler Stewart, Chris Hatfield, you know him, astronaut guy, photo space, that dude. Uh, it got us thinking. We can't just have it one-sided. So why not open it up to fans? We might not be able to go to the games and yell and scream together. So how about you do it on your phone and send it to us? That's right. Cut your best WWE promo and send it to us on Twitter and Instagram with the hashtag Tim and Fans. That's right, Tim and Fans. Not only will we retweet the best, but we'll put them on our show in little vignettes heading up to every night in the North. Have your say online, on TV. Cut your very best 30 seconds and then hashtag Tim and Fans. And we'll try our best to get him on the show. So stop ripping me because it was just all Leaf fans, <laughs> all right? Speaking of fans, Jets fans, you should be following Kenny and Rennie on YouTube. Ken Weeb and Sean Reynolds have you covered for all of your post-game reaction, plus so much more. And with the Pierre-Luc Dubois return tonight in the Jets lineup, the guys have a lot to talk about before the puck drops on Game 2 against Edmonton. Gentlemen, take it away. Hey, Tim, heading into this series between the Winnipeg Jets and the Edmonton Oilers, I think most people would agree that the advantage in depth definitely lies in the Jets' favor. And that was the case in Game 1 as a number of unsung heroes showed up to give the Jets that game. Names like Tucker Pullman, Logan Stanley, Dominic Toninato, the difference makers in that game, really. And now heading into Game 2, it looks like the Jets' depth is going to get even deeper. Absolutely, Sean. The return of Pierre-Luc Dubois is a big boost for the Winnipeg Jets' forward group. He should slot in on that second line with Paul Stastny and Andrew Kopp and what we also know is this is a great opportunity for Dubois to have a reset after what Paul Maurice described as a tumultuous journey to get to the postseason. What he also said, it's a great chance for him to define his season if he can find that form that he showed in the bubble last year as a member of the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Jets will be getting a massive boost from Pierre-Luc Dubois. There is all kinds of speed to burn in this series. Yet what we saw in game one was two fairly tentative teams and not the fastest game. Paul Maurice thinks that's going to change. He thinks game two is going to be extremely fast. Who does that give the advantage to? Yeah, what we know, the Oilers have an incredibly speedy team for sure. But what the Jets want to continue to do is not feed the transition game of the Oilers. That is what allowed them to have success in the opener. They clogged up the neutral zone pretty well and made life a little bit more difficult by getting under the skin of Connor McDavid. David and company. That's something that will 
have to continue for the Jets. Ken, we talked after that game about the blueprint. It was basically exactly what Paul Maurice had set out and wanted, but some of the results in that game aren't exactly what the Jets would want. Of course, they were outshot 33-22 uh, to 22 by the Oilers. Is that part of the blueprint that is going to be need to be tweaked for them to have success in this series? Yeah, I think they'll need to generate a little bit more offense. There's no doubt about that. We know the Jets were able to have some strong shifts, but they were fairly opportunistic, as you mentioned. So for me, they need to use that speed game to their advantage, generate a little bit more offensive zone time. One thing they did do really well was keep the puck away from Mike Smith, and that's a factor that must continue. Well, in Game 1, the Jets did something very few teams did this season. That was keep both Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid off the board. That happened seven times during the regular season. Here's the deal. In those bounce-back games, those two have been electric, combining for 26 points in those seven games following being shut out. So the Jets, no doubt, have a massive task facing them heading into the game this evening. Tim. You are right, boys. Uh, I Listen. Oilers one power play and five rush chances in that game. If the Jets can do that every game, they win this series. I'm not sure they can do that every game. Time now to reveal your best of the week winner. You've been voting at sportsnet.ca slash vote. And the winner is the dancing kid and the dancing kid. All this sports has me more excited than my first night out post-pandemic. It'll look something like this. I don't know. cannot move like that. I can move like that. Can the Jays take over first in the AL East tonight? We discuss it oh. on Tim and Friends. Oh, no. <laughs> Rubinoff, you finally saw the knee move, didn't you? Yeah, I loved yeah, it. That's old Never school. in doubt. Taking it back to the old school because I'm an old fool who's so cool. Can you just do last call so we Microphone can get Microphone took a beating there. A little elbow. <laughs> oh, yeah. A little shot. Uh, game four between the Capitals and Bruins is coming up next on Sportsnet East, Ontario Pacific, and Sportsnet 360. That's Timmy Beer League styles. The Bruins lead the series 2-1. Washington won game one in overtime. Boston took game two. Two overtime, then won game three in double <laughs> overtime. Yeah, triple. Uh, Tim, I think we called it last time. How many overtimes will we see tonight? <laughs> so naturally this is three. Are yeah. we adding here all, as all we they go do along? Is, yeah, all they do is play close game is there any way honestly that we see a like they're obviously very closely matched the one thing i wonder is if it's not an overtime game tonight i think the capitals may have a bit of a hangover from the terrible mistake that leads to a game winner sometimes so you can carry that hangover with you especially double overtime to hand a gift like that that could linger yeah samsonov is playing tonight Again, confirmed. Right. Uh, the Men's World Hockey Championship is underway, and today the hosts Latvia stunned Canada 2-0 earlier today. Oh, my goodness. Is Canada's first ever loss to Latvia at an international event. They were previously 11-0-1. Tim, do we need a hockey summit after this loss? Uh, no, no. It's in Latvia, right? Like, the World Championships yeah. is in Latvia, and there are a lot of Canadian players missing from this team that decided in a global pandemic that they wouldn't go over. So, woosah, we're good. Yeah, there's a little woosah that we all need to have. Uh... And listen, I, 
by the by the the end of this, it might be a little bit different too, right? Like yeah. you got to give the team a little bit of time because I don't think they spent much time no. practicing together. A couple games, it's all good. Tournament. Yeah, uh, it is a loss to Latvia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, listen, this is just the start. Oh, You're gonna hang big around. show, big show. Uh, we out. hope you guys hang around too. We're sending you Caps Bruins game number four live from Boston. That's on Sportsnet Ontario East. Pacific and Sportsnet 360, but we here at Tim and Friends will be back at 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central, 5.30 Mountain for a special edition of Tim and Friends on Sportsnet West, but available to all viewers as we tee up game two between the Jets and the Oilers. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you chose to be here with us. We appreciate it. Off the- We're shipping off to Boston for game four. <laughs>